Well, good morning, everyone. It's cold. Thank you that you guys sang happy birthday, but my name is Shaq, and I am one of the pastors here at Garden City Church, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here with us today. And those who are visiting us today, I want to acknowledge you and say hello. Um, Something that Dennis and I do that we value and appreciate is we get coffee with people. I drink a lot of coffee. Usually I don't, but when I drink coffee, it's usually when I'm meeting with another person. So if you are comfortable with meeting and getting coffee together, please, after our gathering, come find me. And I'll get your contact and we'll exchange numbers and we'll meet and have coffee together so I can get to know you, you get to know me. And I just want to, I guess, be your friend and not just be a pastor who's up here and you're in the stands. So this morning, we're going to continue our study of the book of Exodus. Last Sunday, Pastor Dennis led us through the first nine plagues um, and uh, that in Pharaoh's choice to harden his heart, God makes it clear that he opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. Not only that, in God's sovereignty, he is present in all things and he is at work in all things. So today we're going to segue into Exodus 12 and unpack the mystery of the 10th plague against Egypt. So if you guys can pray with me, and we'll start our conversation. So join you guys, join me in prayer as you bow your heads with me, and we'll pray. Lord, we acknowledge our breath today. Whatever place that we are coming from, Lord, we are thankful that you brought us here today. Lord, we believe that your word is alive and well and it moves in the hearts of human beings, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you draw us near to yourself? Lord, would you forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that I have committed before you, Lord? And I pray that you will speak your words through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first in Exodus 12, we are made aware of a new word called the Passover. The word Passover literally means or translated as to pass over or to skip over. Before now, there was never any mention of this word Passover. It was introduced by a dialogue that Yahweh had with Moses and Aaron. Moses was sent to Pharaoh and requested that he let the children of Israel go, that they may worship the Lord their God. This irritated Pharaoh a lot, and he stubbornly refused to go against Moses' requests. As a result, his nation was dealt with divinely inspired plagues, and the final one being the death of the entire firstborn in Egypt. So our dialogue finds its, gen- its genesis here in Exodus 12, 1 to 2, where the Lord says, if you can look at the screens, I have the verse up there. It says, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. And he says, from now on, this will be the first month of the year for you. The coming deliverance from Egypt was such a significant act 
that God has told his people to remark your calendars. This new year will start as a month of redemption from Egypt. It was a dramatic way of saying that everything was about to change. It was a big shift in the covenant that they have been promised a land of their own. See, reading this, I love that God makes it very clear to us that he is forever the God of new beginnings. That he tells his people in the place of their grief, in the place of their bondage, that I'm going to make all things new. In the place of your bondage, I'm going to make all things new for you. And here's how he did it. So throughout verse 3 to 13, we see Yahweh providing particular instructions for his people. And he announces, on the tenth day of this first month, each family, each household was to choose a one-year-old lamb. And the lamb needed to be perfect without defects. The lamb was required to live with the family for four days leading up to the Passover. While the lamb lived with the family, families were required and commanded to feed the lamb, to take care of the lamb, and to keep a close eye on the lamb to make sure it was perfect. In this short time, they had identified themselves with the lamb, so it almost became part of the family. Side note to this, I just bought a dog like three weeks ago, and I understand what it's like to live with an animal. I'm telling you, it is a lot of work. Um, but again, they got acquainted with this animal. They took care of it. They fed it. So they were probably saying things like, this is our little merry little lamb here. This is our Passover lamb. This belongs to our family. See, and if the family was too small for the family to eat the animal, they shared the lamb with neighbors. So church, there was no one who was excluded from this special festival to the Lord. And according to Jewish scholars, the minimum number to eat one lamb, the entire lamb, was 10 people. And the maximum number to eat one lamb is 20 people. So the observant Jews tried to keep the household in between those numbers, 10 for the lowest and 20 for the largest. So yes, we can start to see that this outline of redemption for a nation is starting to begin, but then we, if we look closely, it is really centered around a family. It is centered around a family of fear. So on the 14th day before sunset and darkness, they gathered this land that they took care of and they slaughtered it. They sacrificed it. So thousands upon thousands of lambs were slaughtered that day. Can you imagine a whole nation? A whole, this is like two million people slaughtering lamb. Blood is everywhere. <laughs> Just imagine that. So the lamb must have been both cherished because they took care of it and mourned that they had to kill it. So this one, again, side note, this one would be tough for children who name their animals. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got kids of your own who name their little chickens, who name their little ducks, and this one would be tough for them. Why are we killing this lamb, daddy? 
Why are we killing it? So God wanted this sacrifice to be memorable. He wanted it to be precious because he was setting up a lasting impression for their need of a savior and a better sacrifice. So as we go on, after that, the community of Israel slaughtered their lamb, they were ordered to eat the lamb and take some of their blood and smear it on the top and the sides of the doorframe of their home. And while eating the lamb together, God commanded the people to be fully dressed to wear their sandals, and to have their walking stick. This meal was to be eaten in haste. You may ask yourself or ask me why. Why did they have to eat this? Because something awful yet wonderful was about to take place that night. God was saying to them, I'm about to unleash the most unstoppable force on the universe, the destroyer. I'm going to go through the greatest military and political power, Egypt. Egypt will soon be like a hot knife through cold butter. And then one thing that's going to protect you from this, my people, is a lamb. A lamb? Really? A lamb is going to save us? The weakest and meekest kind of creature possible is going to stop the greatest force on the planet? A lamb? Think about that. A lamb is going to be the substitute for these people. See, the Passover lamb had to be eaten in faith, trusting that the deliverance promised for Israel was at hand and it was coming immediately. The book of Hebrews emphasizes the importance of faith in keeping the Passover. It says this in chapter 12, verse 28, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill the firstborn son. It was by faith. They didn't understand. It was by faith, church. It is noticeable that the only portion of the sacrifice which was given by God was the blood of the lamb. The rest of the sacrifice was eaten by the family, or if it was not eaten, it was burned. It was the blood that remained. It was the blood, again, that remained. In verse 13, notice that God didn't say, when I see you, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. He says, when I see the, say it again. When I see the blood. See, being rescued by the angel of death didn't happen by prayer. Didn't happen by fasting or a good work. It was accomplished by the substitute of a lamb that died in their place. The lamb, it was the blood, again, that was there. Now, you may ask me, why use the blood as a sign? See, throughout the Old Testament, the shedding of blood often signifies an entrance into a covenant 
with God. That word covenant is a relational word. See, God used this as a way to bring them closer to him. And blood is the essence of life. And it symbolizes an atonement for those who are under the blood. See, in Leviticus 17, verse 11, Leviticus, by the way, is, is one of probably the most overlooked books in the Bible, and it's hard to read it too because it's a bunch of laws. But in verse 11, it says this, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make an atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood, again, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. See, here in Egypt, the blood of the lamb was essential to what God required. It was the blood. I'm going to keep saying that. It's very heart-riching, but it's the blood. In Exodus 12, verse 14 to 30, God gives them more instructions of how to observe and celebrate the unleavened bread feast. In line with his, his description, Above all else, what God wanted them to do the most was to remember. To remember. He wanted them to remember their liberation. He wanted them to remember that God remembered them and acted on their behalf. He wanted them to remember that this rescue was about remember. God used this Religious practice to teach them how to remember and cherish their deliverance. See, in addition to that, church, the Passover was not initiated as just one occasion or for just one generation, but generations after them. Yahweh says in Exodus 12, 15 to 20, uh, 25 to 27, he says... When you observe the land that the Lord will give you as a promise, observe, grasp, taste, meditate, look, behold this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? And he prompted them by giving them an answer. He tells them this. Then tell them, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who pass over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt in spirit or home when, this, when he struck down the Egyptians, then the people bowed down and worship. See, their deliverance wasn't just for them. And our deliverance is not just for us. You see kids in there? They're a part of our deliverance too they understood that their deliverance wasn't just for them. But we suck. Honestly, we suck. I'm sorry. We, we suck at remembering God's faithfulness and goodness. We are people of spiritual amnesia. We cannot remember a thing about God. It's hard for us. But God knows in his love and his faithfulness to us, he knows that we are forgetful. He knows it. So he gives us memorials to help us to recall his faithfulness in our lives. We gather here because 
We remembered long ago that he saved us and we're here gathering together as a church. God is good, right? He gives us, he gives us moments to like, you know, you forgot that time. I'm going to help you out. You got church this Sunday. Right? So my question is, you probably have questions, so what does this mean to me? I don't sacrifice lamb today. I may go to the store and buy a lamb, but I don't sacrifice it. Why would God choose a gut-wrenching site of sacrifice? Why is the Passover so significant? The greatest purpose and mystery of the Passover is that it all points, all of it points, to the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God. That is Jesus. Yes, it's all about Jesus and his redemption for all creation. And here's why. Again and again throughout the history of redemption, God always provided a lamb or another sacrificial animal to save his people. For instance, Abraham was provided a ram to die in the place of his son Isaac. Or on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the most holies of holies and literally put a rope around our waist with a bell. And when the holiness of God would, would fill up the place, they would be pulled out. But in this place, in God's presence, they would sacrifice a lamb for a sin offering. So for centuries and generations, God's people always observed the way of worship in this way by substituting a lamb. They had no idea this was his, this what, what this was pointing to. They had no idea why they were doing this until the final day that John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, coming his way. Fully God, fully man, coming his way, and he says this word. In John 129, he says, Behold, look now, don't delay, don't procrastinate. Look now, behold, the Lamb of God is here to take away the sins of the world. Behold. They've been waiting so long for this. We have been waiting so long for this. And he tells them to behold. Look now. Don't look the other way. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Behold, the Lamb of God is here. God was planning this all along that one day, one lamb would die for one world. In Luke 22, moments after Jesus, Jesus agrees, Judas agrees to betray Jesus, we find him and his disciples preparing to celebrate the Passover meal together, which unknowingly was the Last Supper. I'm pretty sure we all know about the Last Supper. The disciples understood the significance of the wine and bread. But Jesus, how clever he is, never gave them the main course, the lamb. You notice that? He never gave them the main course. There was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. Jesus was now going to link them to his upcoming death and resurrection. So as they sat together at the table, Jesus says his words here. 
When the time came, which means in a few hours he would go from eating a sacrificial lamb to dying as the one true lamb to validate the new covenant. His whole life he anticipated this hour, so he had so much emotion. So he says, again, when the time came, Jesus sat down together at the table with his disciples. In other translations, it says they reclined together. So I looked more at this. I looked up pictures, and, and the scene kind of looked like the, 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 at the Last Supper, the disciples would recline on their left elbow, and they would rest their heads on the low table with their feet farthest away. That's a really good depiction there because the fact that they reclined initiated that this was a long meal, a very long meal. So quite different from the original Passover celebration where they were eaten in haste and had to flee from Egypt. So this meal was eaten from a place of rest and anticipation. Just picture that, reclining next to Jesus, eating with him. So Jesus said this, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Which means, he said, with desire, I did desire to eat this Passover with you. With desire, I did desire to eat this Passover with you. It would be his last opportunity to teach them and to have an intimate fellowship with them. He says, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this and remember it to me. After the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured as a sacrifice for you. Jesus didn't give them the normal explanations of the meaning of each of the foods. He reinterpreted them in himself. And the focus was no longer on the suffering of Egypt. It was now on the sin-bearing suffering of Jesus on their behalf. The words, this is my body, was the first time they heard that. The very first time they heard that, I'm pretty sure it had a stunning effect on the disciples, like, what? How is this your body? This is how Jesus connected it to them. So church, Friday, each Sunday, we gather, and we do this and remember. So when Jesus died for us, he ate the bread and he broke it. He literally broke it. And this is how we remember that Jesus' body was broken, pierced, beaten with stripes for our redemption. And as we drink the cup, we should remember that his blood, the blood that remained, was poured out on the cross for you and me. 
So with his blood, not the blood of calves or goats, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. Just think, Hebrews 9 says, just think, just behold, just meditate, just ponder on how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness. His blood alone, church, sets the captives free. His blood alone deactivates spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness. His blood alone is enough. His blood alone is powerful. His blood alone is good. His blood alone is everlasting. This is how we fellowship with Jesus because his redemption has reconciled us to God. We can now sit down and relax and anticipate a meal with Jesus and to be affirmed in our sense of belonging, in our sense of belovedness while enjoying each other's company. Friends, we all belong. I didn't think you heard me clearly, but we all belong. And we all have a seat at his table. We didn't build this table, you know, but he built it for us. We belong at his table. And he passionately longs for communion with you and me. He awaits. Oh, he awaits. The day when his people are brought safely into rest, when we are no longer in sin. He awaits the day when his kingdom arrives and the Passover will be fulfilled. Oh, he awaits for you. Waits to sit with you and to see you and to know you and to love you and to sing over you. I want to encourage you and to say to you again that you do belong. There is a place of belonging for you. So I want to leave you with two things. One is a challenge. Two is an invitation. One being the challenge is, are we, the church, me included, beholding, grasping, meditating, remembering the Lamb, the Lamb of God while we partake in communion? Or are we just going through the emotions of religious rituals? Is it just because you like the drink and the stale cracker? (laughs) But when you partake in it, do you remember, do you behold him? Or is it just about, yeah, that's, that's one of the things we do, and we do it every week, and yeah, it's, it's kind of cool, and yeah, that's it. But are you thinking about Jesus' body being broken for you? And the second thing I want to say to you is the invitation. 
is God created us to be with him from the very beginning. He created us to be in his image. And our sin, you have sin. Just let you know you have sin. And I want you to let you know that I have sin too. We all have sin. And we all are separated, have been separated from God. So as we are sinning, our sin cannot be covered by good deeds. It cannot be covered because you're a good person. It cannot be covered because you come to church every Sunday. It cannot be covered because you have good disciplines, spiritual disciplines. No good deed can cover or remove your sin. God says in Isaiah that our, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Filthy rags. We all have done wrong. We all have sinned. We all have sinned against God and each other. So to pay the price of your sin requires death. Death, literally death, spiritual death, physical death. But someone has paid that death for you. Someone who has come into the world as man and God has come and died in your place on the cross that you deserve to die on. He died on that cross. His his body was broken. His blood was shed for you. But he didn't just die. It didn't just end there. That's the great story about Jesus, that it didn't just end in death, but it, it ended with resurrection. It ended with him rising again. And we can partake in that by trusting and believing in him. Trusting and believing that he did actually rise. And that life and that beginning can start now for you. Doesn't ha- you, don't, you don't have to fix yourself up to come to Jesus. You can come as you are. He'll do the, he'll do the fixing. He'll do the, all the work that he needs to do. But all we have to do is say yes. Yes, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Yes, I want that covenant relationship with you. Yes, I want to understand what it means to belong. Yes, I want you. So what we're going to do now is if I want you guys to take a couple seconds and to think about that. If, if, if Jesus is pulling on your heart, if Jesus is inviting you into himself, I want you to take a couple seconds to yourself and talk to the Lord. Because the Lord is the one who knows the heart of all human beings. And if he is pulling on your heart, drawing you to himself, I encourage you to say yes. So let's have a moment of silence. And when you hear me pray, We'll end it and we'll go into communion. So if you guys can just join me in a moment of silence.
in the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good. For the lamb has conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born. Then the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint by his blood and in his name and in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.